Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thank you for joining us. Hope you had a good weekend. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. I know it's a busy week this uh, Christmas week. We hope it's a very good one for you. Coming up today, we'll talk weather with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. We'll talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Bravo AgriFinance. And we're going to talk with the president of the National Corn Growers Association, Chris Edgington, about uh, the National Corn Growers sending a letter stating that uh, they believe that the Mosaic Company, one of the nation's leading fertilizer companies, has erected an insurmountable tariff barrier to keep its top competitors out of the U.S. market at the expense of America's farmers. We'll be talking about that issue and more with the president of the National Corn Growers a little bit later on in the program. But now we like to start the week off uh, checking the ag news, talking with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us. Well, Merry Christmas to you, Mike. And it's uh, always been a pleasure to work with you. And I just want to congratulate you so much on what a wonderful career you've had. Well, thank you very much. When we started this show a few years ago, one of the first things I wanted to do was to make sure I had somebody on that was really in touch with what was going on in Washington, D.C. on ag policy and, and things uh, like that. And there was no one more connected, I knew, that, than you. And uh, you and your staff do a great job. It's been exciting to see the growth of your company, AgriPulse Communications. And you have been a big part of the show. And I cannot thank you enough. Well, you're very welcome. It's uh, been terrific to work with you, and I just wish you the very best in your retirement. And I know you'll stay in touch on some of these issues that are so important to rural America. I'll be following AgriPulse for sure. And uh, let's talk about uh, some of the developments here that uh, have just happened or what didn't happen. Uh, No bill back better yet, although the Democrats are vowing they're going to try to bring it back. Well, they are saying they're going to keep trying and trying and trying until they can get some sort of a package that will get over, uh, get all the Democrats lined up. But as you heard over the weekend, I'm sure, Mike, Senator Joe Manchin really put the kibosh. He came down with a firm no when he was speaking on Fox News Sunday. A little while later in the day, he suggested that he still might be willing to talk. But the response from the White House was just incredibly strong against him, almost calling him a liar about his faith in the negotiations. And so you've seen all these progressives that wanted a much bigger package uh, now even further upset because they said, we told you that if we tried to negotiate in good faith, he would eventually uh, step out of uh, the lane. So now we're just going to wait. I think things are going to cool off over the holiday week here. And uh, you do hear people like uh, Leader Schumer saying, well, we'll come back in January and try to find something that works. I think this is really something that the I community has to stay tuned to because of the billions of dollars in that package for conservation. Those weren't dollars that were contentious. Senator Manchin never mentioned that he had a problem with that, but just the level of spending and the time span for which that spending would occur was really problematic, especially as we're looking at these inflationary pressures and some changes on interest rates that are going to be required. So. Uh, we'll be watching that on uh, through the holiday, and but most importantly, next year. Yeah, well, they try to bring it back maybe in pieces or something like that. But I'll say this, as you said, uh, the White House is really, and others, coming down hard on Senator Manchin. And we don't know what was said or uh, talked about in the negotiations, but he's made it very clear. He's had a lot of concerns and reservations about this plan all along. So uh, it's not like it's not really a switch in positions. I mean, this is kind of where he's been coming from and letting people know about his concerns all along. Absolutely. He's been very consistent that he is going to stay in touch with what he can explain to his constituents in West Virginia. And if he can't explain it and have a smile on his face, he's not going to do it. And uh, that's what uh, I guess we expect all of our senators to do. So uh, we're just going to see how this might, uh, you know, shape up in the long term. But it looks like for now, 
at least as, as we're looking at the end of this year, we're not going to see any big infusion of spending of any kind. Uh, in addition to what we've already had, let's make clear, we've already spent billions mm-hmm. of dollars and allocated those this year. So it's not like there's not a lot of funding that still has to come out of Washington, D.C. And many economists and others have warned that more government spending will make inflation worse, not better. So um, that's a big part of this. Well, well, we'll watch and see what happens moving forward. Now, what we're also watching is the supply chain issues. How are they being addressed? Anything being done to help? Uh, we've got this situation now with these uh, cargo ships going back to other countries without filling back up, without taking our products with them. What's being done there to address that? Yeah, in some cases, Mike, it sounds like there's a 75% of the ships are coming over and these companies are saying, bring them right back to China empty. Uh, there's such an urgent need to keep sending things from China and other ports into the U.S. And what the administration has done is not only support legislation that moves through the House, and that uh, Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2021 has a bipartisan uh, sponsorship, Garamendi from California, Dusty Johnson from South Dakota. That passed quickly, 364 to 60. Now you've got the administration with a letter from Vilsack, uh, Secretary of Agriculture, and Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, saying, hey, we're not going to take this anymore if you keep sending these empty containers back without first considering filling them with U.S. ag exports. So it's a strongly worded letter at this point. What else they can do? Uh, other than trying to, you know, put the pressure on and the publicity on is a little bit unclear, but at least it's a strongly worded shot across the the literal bow of some of these shipping Mm -hmm. companies. And uh, one of the things that'll be going on next year, farm bill hearings already. That'll be interesting, especially in a, a year when you have midterm elections. It is. And, um, you know, those elections are really started in great shape right now. Uh, So we're watching those closely. Our March summit in Washington, D.C. is going to be focused a lot on the farm bill. It seems like we just got done with the 2018 one, but it takes time to get ready. You've got working groups at Farm Bureau and other associations going on. So we just want to lift up some of those issues and try to think about what does life look like uh, in terms of a safety net on the farm? Obviously, crop insurance is key, but that's been broadened out to a lot of different uh, areas, a lot of different crops, and people still think we need some permanent disaster legislation. So where would that end up? Uh, what kind of reference prices are needed now that uh, we've got a little different cost situation? So a lot of key issues to be discussed. And then, of course, the nutrition programs, which you may have seen this week, got a $1.5 billion boost from the Department of Agriculture, CCC, something that we don't believe has been done in the past, but to help them with supply chain issues. So lots of things to talk about going into next year. For sure. Well, again, Sarah, I want to wish you and Al and your family Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot still in the future Um, Wish you the very best. Thank you. Thank you. Merry Christmas to all of you and your listeners. Take care. Sarah Wyant, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. Next, we check holiday weather with DTM meteorologist John Baranek on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack will start off with the recent biofuels news and the RVO announcements, and you have defended the announcement by EPA. Why? Let's talk about the number of waivers that were denied. And this wasn't just a handful of waivers that were denied. This was over 60 waivers. And the reality is uh, this is an administration that wants a true and accurate renewable fuel standard, one that reflects uh, when they say a certain volume level, they don't undercut it 
by granting waivers extensively. So I think it sent a strong message that the waiver process of the Trump administration was not going to be followed. 2020 was a pretty interesting year from a pandemic perspective and a, a transportation perspective. And so this is a number, uh, taking a look at the numbers that for those two years, is a reflection of what happened out there in the countryside because of the pandemic. Uh, and certainly understandable, we had to make adjustments in a lot of different places. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy to listen to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, after a couple of weeks of severe weather, things have calmed down a bit. Uh, let's see what's ahead for this holiday season. We're joined now by DTM meteorologist John Baranek. John, Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for joining us. How does it look the rest of the year? Yeah, Merry Christmas to you too, Mike. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. Uh, the, next, the next week here is, uh, is going to be a little bit on the boring side. Um, we have a couple of systems moving through off to the north and off to the south, but uh, right through the heart of the country, not a whole lot going on. So um, in terms of precipitation, at least, uh, what we'll see here over the course of the week is, is a quick dip in temperatures early in the week. Uh, towards the middle of the and end of the week, though, uh, as we head toward Christmas, we're going to see our temperatures soar again. Uh, temperatures on uh, Thursday and Friday are going to get close to 70 in some areas of Kansas, Missouri, and points southward. 50s and 60s for much of the Corn Belt. Uh, so it's going to be a nice uh, warm couple of days. And then that all comes crashing down with a system moving through kind of Friday, which is Christmas Eve day, and into Saturday. Um, not a whole lot of precipitation with this system either. There's going to be some pretty good winds with it. It's fairly good dynamics. Uh, but the, the precipitation is really going to be over the kind of the Great Lakes, and, and, the, and that's most likely to be rain. And then uh, snow is going to be mostly over Canada. So um, for the most part here, a lot of us are going to end up with a, with a brown Christmas. I mean, there's only going to be a select few here. That's probably uh, the Dakotas, Minnesota, maybe northern Wisconsin, and the UP of Michigan that end up with a, uh, with a white one. Seems like we've kind of got into this pattern, warming up unseasonably warm, and then followed by some stormy weather. Is that going to keep happening, you think? Um, it, that's definitely possible. It will be with this storm system moving through here Friday into Saturday. Um, I don't know in terms of, I, I don't really think we're going to see much in terms of anything significantly like severe weather like we've seen over the past week. That was just kind of insanity in terms of uh, the weather world. Um, so I don't think we'll see that. We may see some lightning strikes in a few spots, but I don't think we'll see any severe weather with that system. Um, systems that kind of come back behind it, we can talk about that to have the, the dreaded something different than severe weather uh, attached to it. More likely, uh, the polar vortex is going to make it start making its appearance here uh, going into next week. So uh, switch from severe weather down to extreme cold is uh, kind of what we're going to be looking at here for the end of the year and then going into January. 
Yeah, really strange weather to have, severe weather without precipitation for the most part. Right, yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's still going to be strong winds as that system moves through. The, the severe weather potential, you know, we saw all kinds of tornadoes and wind damage across the plains into the Midwest and the Mid-South with two systems uh, about a week ago. And it's just, it, it's it's not something you see in December. It was, it was very wild. It was, the windstorm that happened in the plains uh, in the middle of last week, it's just something you just don't see in December. And um, it was just a wild day of weather all around, you know, seeing wind gusts, 70 miles an hour, dust storms blowing across the plains. Then you got severe weather on top of that. It's just, it was absolutely uh, insanity um, for people who lived out there and for us weather watchers that were watching it. It was just incredible. We're talking with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. John, always ask you about South America, and are we starting to see more signs of La Nina taking hold, some drier weather there? Absolutely. Uh, it started kind of uh, about a week ago where we really started to see this uh, situation set up where um, conditions are really good in central and northern Brazil, and uh, dryness has really started to develop across Argentina and southern Brazil. Uh, temperatures this morning already are in the 90s in Argentina and southern Brazil. And so when you get the dryness it, for a couple of days in a row, it really depletes your soil moisture, especially when the crops uh, down there are getting into their reproductive and grain fill stages. They're really uh, craving that water and you know just soaking it out of the, the, the ground as fast as they can. Um, they've got a couple of isolated showers moving through over the next couple of days, but then it turns almost completely dry again. Um, for another five or six days before they get another shot of just isolated stuff moving through. Um, they're really on a dry trend down there for the southern half of South America, and that looks like it's going to continue all the way through January, too. So there's, you know, the crop is not doing well in uh, southern Brazil, in the states of Paraná and Rio Grande do Sul. They're a lot more farther along. Argentina still has a bunch of their crop to plant yet because they have a very large planting window. Uh, but even then, um, you know, for the 40% or so that's still left to plant, they're planting into dry conditions, and the month of January doesn't look like it's going to help them out either. So it uh, looks like, uh, you know, there's a very distinct um, difference between northern South America and southern South America setting up, and uh, nothing looks to change that through the summer months. So that is a developing story to keep a close watch on. Meanwhile, what do you see as we turn the calendar into 2022, La Nina's impact on our winter weather? Yeah, so usually La Nina brings about uh, a change in the polar vortex, weakening it, meaning uh, we get big areas of high pressure ridging to move northward towards the North Pole, and that splits the polar vortex into a bunch of pieces and they move further south. Um, Unfortunately, you know, well, over the, over the past couple of months, we haven't really seen that take shape. Unfortunately, though, it looks like we will uh, going into next week and then the start of the new year. So um, we've got one piece of energy that's really going to set up here this weekend and into early next week across the western half of North America, really the Canadian prairies into the, the Pacific Northwest. Polar temperatures really pulling up there in the Canadian prairies. And then as we go through the course of next week, we're going to see a couple of systems move out of that and continually push that cold air further south and east uh, through the week, the last week of the year. It's going to come with a couple of storm systems uh, as well. So, you know, we have a big contrast of warm temperatures across the south and warm temperatures across the north. We might have to look at severe weather again. Mm-hmm. But um, I think this will be more in the traditional areas kind of south of the Ohio River than where we had seen them. Uh, last week. so um, But uh, we are still looking at strong systems moving through, again, continually pushing that cold uh, air down. And then uh, models are really suggesting that that core of the polar vortex moves over the middle of the country here uh, early in January, the first couple of days of January, and uh, sticks around for at least a week. Um, models are kind of differing on when they want to pull that cold air out, but usually these polar vortex events last a week or two so uh, we could be talking a good, uh, the first half of January being on the very cold side. Um, models, though, towards the end of January and going into early February have, have a nice big warm shot to kind of follow in behind it. So um, January might be a really kind of, uh, kind of spring-like feel to it. We get a really cold start to it and a nice warm finish. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll just have to see how long that cold air sticks around in the middle of the country 
in early January. Well, that's interesting because I thought February was shaping up to be the really winter month. I mean, where we really get hit hard by some winter weather. I mean, are you are you seeing a change in that? No, unfortunately, no, <laughs> Mike. Um, uh, unfortunately, that's still on tap too. So uh, we had kind of been looking at a possible cold shot, maybe not as deep as what we uh, are forecasting now. Uh, to be moving through kind of the late December. Now it looks like it's going to be early January, uh, and it'll probably encompass a lot more of the air of the country than we had previously thought. Um, now that models are really kicking that into gear, uh, but the, the the cold event in February that we've been talking about for past several months uh, does not look like that's going to be any different. Um, you know, going I, I mentioned that models kind of going into early February have a nice warm shot, but. You know, February is four four weeks long, so uh, we can have a nice big cold pool there in the middle at the end of the month. Uh, that would really, you know, be the, the the weather story for the month rather than the warm start. So we've got this La Nina Part Two that we're that's impacting us. How long does this usually last? Uh, a second La Nina like this. Usually the same as the first. So um, we, our models are, have been actually pretty good and consistent about having it go up to a, a neutral state uh, during the spring. And there's one model, and unfortunately it's the American model that is typically the better one, or it has been over the last, um, you know, probably say 18 months or so. And um, that kind of lingers it a little bit longer through the, through the spring. But typically we see this uh, really wind down in the spring months and um, and uh, go to a neutral state, and then a lot of kind of inter interseasonal variability. We see smaller things kind of set up and move through uh, the country that have a lot more of an influence than than uh, the Pacific Ocean temperatures. Well, John, thank you very much. I've enjoyed working with you and getting to know you as you've taken over for uh, Bryce Anderson, and uh, uh, wish you the very best. Have a happy holiday season, and thanks for everything. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate that. Uh, Merry Christmas and enjoy your retirement. Thank you very much. DTM meteorologist John Baranek. Up next, we're going to talk markets and economy with Steve Nicholson with Rombo AgriFinance as uh, the new uh, COVID variant, Omicron, uh, continues to spread. We'll see the impact on markets. We'll talk about that and more coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. The core market is taking a break today as we start the holiday shortened trading week. The weekly CFTC Commitment of Traders report showed managed money firms were 345,980 contracts net long in corn on 1214. That was 13,479 contracts stronger net long than the previous week, mostly driven by net new buying. Commercial corn hedgers added shorts for the week, extending their net short 13.3 thousand contracts to 600. 48,338. 
On the Board of Trade today, March corn trading a fraction higher at 593 and a fraction. The May contract down a fraction at 594. For soybeans, the January contract up eight and a half cent at 12.93 and three quarters. The March contract up seven and three quarters at 12.96 and a quarter of a cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat March down six at 7.69. Kansas City wheat March down three and three quarters at 8.06 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat March down six and three quarters at 10.15 and a fraction. The May contract down six and a half cent at 10.05 and a half cent. In cash cattle country, the market is quiet like normal to start off this week. Asking prices in the south are expected to be around $138 or better, and show lists are expected to be even with last week or larger. Given that it is Christmas, trade is expected to develop earlier this week than usual. The bulk of last week's business took place on Tuesday and Wednesday, which is the little scatter trade on Thursday and Friday. On the Board of Trade, February live cattle trading 52 cents lower at 135.92, April down 35 at 140.25. Feeder cattle January down $1.10 at 159.15. March down 87 at 160.82. In lean hogs, the February contract down 92 at 79.87. April down 85 at 83.92. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Steve, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Mike. How are you? This is this is the last week. Are you ready to go? Ready to yeah. <laughs> off a new chapter? Uh, it's you know a lot of mixed feelings this week. You know, and yeah, excited to see what's the next chapter is going to be, and you know, and uh, anxious to see that. But also, you know, going to miss talking with uh, folks like you on a regular basis. And we've done this a a long time talking about the market. So miss those conversations, but I'm sure our paths will continue to cross in the future. Let's, let's talk about what uh, we might see with the markets here during this holiday season. We got got a lot of things going on, some increasing dry weather concerns in South America, uh, increasing uh, um, Omicron variant concerns in the U S and the economy continued concerns with the supply chain. How does all this impact the markets? Yeah, it, there is an awful lot going on right now. And this is and this is surprising because this is a holiday short week. You know, mm-hmm. volume will be a little bit smaller this week. And so, you know, from an expectation standpoint, over the next couple of weeks, you could see a lot more volatility in the markets because the volume will be low. Just kind of a reminder to listeners, remember what happened to the stock market after Thanksgiving, that Friday after Thanksgiving low volume, and we had a big hit that day. So expect more volatility, and I think that's the same thing when we talk about this new variant. You know, you see shutdowns in Europe. Uh, the Netherlands has really shut down. Uh, the U.K. is you know starting to lock folks down as well, and you can see the, that reaction in the oil markets. The oil markets, oil mar- crude oil is down today. You know, that's having an impact both on corn and soybean oils, or all vegetable oils, really. So expect more volatility. But I think once the market gets over the holidays and starts to think about, okay, what's really happening, and the market will take into account some of this dry weather. And you look at the forecast for south and, you know, southern Brazil, Argentina, there's not much moisture in the forecast over the next week to 10 days. 
Um, it has been a little dry there, so that is a concern going forward that those crops are just got off to a great start, and I think that's the thing we have to remember they got off to a good start. But the fact is you're now into that time period, um, you know, the heart of the growing season where they need to get, you know, need to get some moisture to fill out those pods when we think about soybeans. But I think we can't remember, can't forget what's going on back home. You know, you look at the drought monitor, and we're starting to see that drought creep back in. It's already been in the West and part of the United States. We're starting to see see it creep east and farther into the Corn Belt again. Um, it's certainly not as severe as it was a year ago, but the fact is, it's still there, and it's it's still getting it's getting a little worse. And you know, for those of us here in the heart of the Corn Belt, you know, it's been a little dry. We haven't had a lot of moisture, um, and so. Not that we need it for growing crops, but we need it to recharge soils and ready to go. And we don't, we haven't had a lot of hard freezes in part, many parts of Corn Belt, so that moisture will soak in. But you know, the market has a lot of things to consider uh, right now, and a lot of it's uncertain. You know, Omicron, you know, the whole Russia-Ukraine fight or, or standoff, if you have it, NATO-Russia, China, and the U.S. A lot of things for the market to be keeping its eye on and thinking about. So kind of a two-part question here. Uh, When do you think the markets will start trying to buy acres and which crop do you think they'll try to buy those acres for? Well, I think once we get back from the holidays and we start to get into mid-January, late January, the market will start to focus, if not sooner, on on acres and will start to buy, buy, you know, buy acres if you have it, like you said. Boy, I tell you what, that's the the $64 billion question is which crop is going to need, is going to be really bidding up acres. And I think when you look at, I don't know that you can actually pinpoint one acre, one crop that really needs it because it's all crops. Corn needs acres. Soybeans need acres. Cotton needs acres. Rice needs acres. You know, certainly white wheat, HRS, and Durham needs wheat acres for sure, and you could argue that HRW needs some acres as well. So you have a lot of crops looking for acres, and you know we got the first bite at the apple if you have it, winter wheat of course, and we'll get those numbers in January. So that will be kind of the first, you know, kind of out of the box. I think once we get that report in January, see what the winter wheat crop, how big, how many acres is it, um, then we can start to focus on and say, well, let's say if those acres are big, then we know that. Soybeans will lose a few acres there, um, but at the same time, if those acres aren't there as anticipated, I think they should be they, they should be bigger than we have seen. And if they're not, and if they are big, then as I say, soybeans will likely lose that. But if they're not very big, then boy, the race is on between corn and soybeans because both want acres uh, badly, and you can see that in the price. And you, and you could you know the other thing that's interesting is when you look at the fundamentals, and I'm not. You know, are are we overburdened on stocks? No. Do we have, let's say, sort of comfortable stocks? Yes. You would expect the market to be a little more relaxed, but you can see it really isn't. I mean, corn corn prices have been going up, so there, you know, and some you someone could argue very easily that we're already seeing corn bid those acres because it wants them now as we see this rally in corn. Because unlike South America, we can't just go out and get a bunch more acres. I mean, we have a certain size pie here, and it's just a matter of uh, uh, which which crop, which commodity gets a bigger share of that pie. That's right. And and that's one of the things we've talked about with folks in, in doing it in our modeling. You look at across the globe, we, you're absolutely right. We don't have any more acres in the U.S. We just can't go and manufacture because we're – you know, we're not going to tear down suburbs of Chicago to bring back good Illinois crop ground or, you know, whatever the case might be. That's just not going to happen. But when you look around the world, there's only two places that have areas to expand. One is the Black Sea region and the other is Brazil. And you look at the Black Sea and think, we know what's going on there now and the instability there. That's likely not going to happen. So then that puts all the pressure back on Brazil. And Brazil is continuing to expand. And they're not taking rainforest. I think we have to say that up front. They're not taking rainforest away, but they are taking out some permapasture. And so at some point, you have to think about Brazil and think, okay, how long is that going to last? And how long before, you know, countries who are buying soybeans, and, I, I, you know, it doesn't matter, is going to put some limitations on, well, we have to have sustainable, certified sustainable soybeans out of Brazil before we'll buy them. And so that could put a limitation on their expansion as well. But Right now, Brazil's the only place in the world that has acres to expand. And so with that, to the premise of your question, 
you know, it's all about yield and increasing that yield going forward uh, as to where we're going to increase production for the needs we have going forward. If it gets considerably drier in South America, if that starts becoming a concern, do we see China start buying more from us? Yeah, I think China will do both. Uh, They will jump on the bandwagon. They're very good about jumping on that bandwagon before it gets out of hand. So, yeah, they will come back in spades, both from, you know, they'll go to South America as well, um, but they will also come here because they want to make sure they get it uh, before it gets even a higher price than already is. So I would, you know, I would be prepared for China any time, you know, they, particularly, let's say we get into the holidays here, and let's say we have this market because the volume so slow, maybe they get a little rain in South America, and the, and we start to see, um, you know, markets really tanking during the holidays because the volume's so low. I wouldn't be surprised to see China come in. I remember this happening before. They'll come in during that to that Christmas, New Year's week, and put a big purchase in because the price is right. Yeah, we've seen that before. Uh, yes, their their purchasing usually tells us quite a bit about what they think is going to happen or what their concern may happen. Yeah. And uh, oftentimes yeah. they're they're pretty right. So. It, I mean, that's right. If they start, if they start getting nervous about South America, we'll see it soon, probably. Yeah, we'll going to see it sooner than later. Um, they are, and you you pegged it exactly right. You know, the Chinese are extremely good traders, and they're very bright. And you can never discount what they're doing because they're thinking about it down the road much farther than we do. And if they're concerned about weather, and they see good pricing, they will jump in and do it because they're they don't they can't afford not to be without. Um, I guess always the thing I tell people, I said, you know, I'm thankful I live in a country that can feed ourselves. You know, there's so many countries in the world that can't, and China being one, they have to depend upon imports. And so if the supply is available and the price is right, they're going to do it and, and get it done and move on. One more question. Is this sure. this concern that's been floated out there that there's going to be such a demand for renewable diesel that we won't have the feedstocks to meet that demand? Is that a real concern or are we just looking for a problem at this point? <laughs> are we looking for a problem? I think it's a real concern. Now, we have seen, interestingly, here in the last month, we've seen a bit of a, a setback in the vegetable oil market um, because of you know, fact is we've had this is the big supply of, of soybeans or and vegetable oil crushing happening because it's after fall harvest, and so we haven't seen that. We've seen a couple delays in renewable diesel facilities coming online because they couldn't find feedstock. Um, but I, I do think one of the things is you look down the line and think about the partnerships that have already been struck between ADM and Chevron, Cargill and Loves, uh, Bungie and – I may get these wrong uh, – Mer- no, Bungie, Chevron, and the ADM is marathon. You know, when those come online and those new plants come online, that oil won't be available to the marketplace. It's only going straight to them, their first right refusal. And so that's going to make, is going to tighten up, in a sense, the, the market that's left or the supply that's left. And so I think this is a little bit of a bump here, um, but I do think this is a real possibility. And part of this, this is manufactured by public policy. So people have to meet these emission needs. And renewable diesel is one of the tools, if you have it in the toolbox, to meet that need. And as these emission, as we go down the road each year, those emission, uh, carbon emission reductions get tighter and harder. Mm -hmm. So it'll be a story to watch moving forward. Steve, again, thank you so very much, my friend. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Good luck. Happy New Year. Um, Good luck in retirement to you and Patty. Thank you very much. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Up next, we'll talk with the president of the National Corn Growers Association right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... 
<laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We 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 are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. I guess the latest is we have some members of Congress getting into this and asking for some funding for these locks and dams. Well, the good news is when with the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that was signed into law by the president on November 15th, that's going to provide a sizable amount of money for a variety of projects, including locks and dams. But there's nowhere is it guaranteed that that funding for locks and dams will go to some of these specific projects that have been lingering for years, particularly on the upper Mississippi River. The good news is, again, we've got the funding, but now the, the next step is to make sure it gets allocated to some specific projects. And that's what a bipartisan group of senators, 11 total, 41 members of the House of Representatives, are very happy to see this bipartisan, bicameral expression of support for these specific projects. It's all part of this broader effort to improve the upper Mississippi. Mississippi River and Illinois River system. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. As 2021 draws to a close, we look forward to 2022. Everyone at Growmark and their many FS member companies wish you and your family a happy holiday season and a prosperous new year. COVID-19 has continued to be a major challenge for everyone this year, along with some weather frustrations, but for farmers, much higher grain prices. This year, FS has supported farmers in many ways and will continue to do so in 2022. Happy New Year from FS. FS bringing you what's next. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. When it comes to a healthy bottom line for your farming operation, nothing helps like healthy soil. Producers who use soil health management systems report lower input costs while maintaining or even improving their yields. Plus, those systems help with drought protection and soil and water conservation. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out more and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by the NRCS and this radio station. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. National Corn Growers Association says that Mosaic Company has erected an insurmountable tariff barrier to keep its top competitors out of the U.S. market at the expense of America's farmers. Joining us now to talk about that is the president of the National Corn Growers Association, Chris Edgington. Chris, good to talk with you. Uh, tell us about uh, uh, what was behind this letter, why you feel so strongly about this issue with Mosaic. Oh, good. And thank you for having us on here, Mike. Um, you know, part of the reason behind the letter that we signed and sent here the other day is simply to show that we are unified as a corn industry, as an ag industry, um, against uh, what's been happening out there. And, you know, it's got a little bit of history to it. Uh, there, There's, uh, you know, Mosaic had filed um, some countervailing duty tariff-type activity with the ITC uh, over a year ago. And what we're finding, it's very difficult for the people that um, are the next in line in the supply chain to push back against Mosaic because they already had 75% of the market share um, domestically. So um, I guess the corn farmers are stepping up. We, uh, we filed an amicus brief November 1st along with soy and wheat and sorghum and, and some retailers um, to say that we think what they did basically took 15 to 20% of the supply out of our supply chain. And thus, we've had the corresponding uh, price reaction and issues. But, you know, it's they, they want to play on a world market, but they don't want the world to play in our market. And so that's, uh, that's what's behind the push. And you're asking Mosaic to withdraw their countervailing duties in and allow uh, more supply into the U.S. Right. They have countervailing duties against both Morocco and Russia. And we're, our, our ask of them, and I have personally made that ask face-to-face with them, is they pull that request um, from the Commerce Department, uh, from Treasury, and uh, that is doable. They can do that. Um, they, of course, have told us that uh, that's not their intention. So we will continue with, uh, with our press uh, push, our solidarity unity um, from the corn industry, and then uh, we have this amicus brief that... Uh, is still moving through the court systems. So so no indication from Mosaic at this point that they're going to make any change in this policy uh, on their own. That they have they have indicated no such change to us. How much when we look at high prices that farmers are dealing with right now, high fertilizer prices, how much of those higher prices do you think can, can be contributed to this move by Mosaic? You know that it's tough, Mike, but when you take basically 20% of your supply out of the market, it's a dramatic, going to have a dramatic shift in the price. And yes, there's been some weather issues, and yes, China has done its normal Chinese thing, um, you know, with some of their own supply. But uh, there's no question when you take 20% out, it's going to have a dramatic shift in the in the price. As you talk with your members around the country. Is this the number one issue of concern for them or right at the top of the list? Uh, high input costs are at the top of their list right now um, because this is just one of, of several other inputs that have gone up dramatically. And so high input costs, concern for, for even breaking even um, this next year. You know, it's, it's kind of ironic to look at the price of corn and soybeans and and the, the input costs have gone up way more than the value of the crop has gone up. So guys are already uh, trying to figure out how do we, how do we go back to cutting things uh, so we can at least break even for the year. You mentioned you've talked with Mosaic. Do you have any more conversations or meetings scheduled with them? Currently, there's nothing lined up. Mm-hmm. And they've not, have they responded in any way to this letter? Not, not to this one that we just signed here the other day, uh, to at least not that I know of. I have not been informed of any response. I do, what, I do know that they, they have meetings set up with several corn states um, to, I guess, talk through their side of it with them as well. 
What about in our government? Uh, has there been any reaction or response to your your concerns on this issue? Yes, there has. Um, there are um, some senators, some House of Reps, um, I believe the USDA, are all trying to get more clarity, get more information. Um, that all takes time, um, and various avenues work better than others. But yes, there are there are elected officials um, that are uh, paying attention to this and want some answers. Yeah, I think the key line there, this takes time. Barring uh, Mosaic doing something on their own voluntarily, all the other avenues that you have to pursue would seem to take time. They will. They will. And and if the system just moves um, through, um, there's no price relief um, or or even in some cases a supply improvement for spring, spring fertilizer needs. Um, we are definitely already fighting probably for the 2023 crop. Are you hearing from growers around the country, uh, obviously a concern about the price, but are, is there also a concern about availability of product? There have been in various instances, um, or it's come way later than they were expecting, and guys are spreading way into December that would normally be done. So there, there are some supply chain challenges. Um, and, um, you know, Mosaic continues to export um, their product outside of the U.S. as well. Last summer when South America, Latin America needed product, they were exporting product down there. So... Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a real challenge when they want to play on the world stage but don't want us to be able to allow the imports from the world. Well, Chris, thanks for being with us, updating this, uh, this important issue. Great to talk with you again. Merry Christmas to you, and uh, hope you have a great 2022. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Anytime. Take care. Chris Edgington, president of the National Corn Growers Association. That wraps it up for today. Again, Merry Christmas, everyone. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite.